Hello, 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 and welcome, friends, to the How That Works podcast. My name is Xavier, and this is the podcast where I discuss all the wonders and curiosities that our world has to offer. Before I blow your mind, I thought I should remind you that this is not your traditional podcast. We are here to discuss all things tech, science, nature, and history. And by popular request from you all, a new topic has been added. Pause for effect. Maximum suspense has set in a very warm welcome to the new kid we have travel travel is going to encompass everything from bullet trains in japan to the spaceships we want to send to mars and everything in between them so grab your ticket and take your seat as we shall also explore travel enough traveling it is now that time to grab your favorite cup of tea relax on the couch or enjoy your run because we're about to get curious It's time to ask the question, how does that work? In today's episode, I want to go back in time, but I also want to fast forward the clock as well. Well, this is making no sense so far. I'll explain myself in a second. I'm pretty sure most people have heard of or seen an elf in a TV show or movie. If you have basic knowledge of elves from TV shows or games or books, then you'll know that elves are almost immortal. Granted, they live thousands of years, but they do eventually die. So in today's episode, I'm going to share my thoughts on aging as well as the possibilities of immortality. Here we go. Firstly, we need to look at the concept of aging and why people get old. This means we get to talk about chromosomes, the brain and your skin and how they all play a key part in the process of growing old. A flash fact for you before we begin. Did you know that global average life expectancy is currently above 70 years old? This is leaps and bounds above the mere 45 years average expectancy that we had back in 1950. We have medicine and development of food technology to thank for this. So getting into all the little things, I want to talk about chromosomes and how these little guys keep your body together and why they do what they do. It's important to understand that when we grow old, scientists call this term senescence. This translates to obtain many wrinkles. It actually translates to the process of growing old, but nobody likes the word old, so we'll stick to wrinkles. Not that it's any better, but anyhow. Aging is recognized by your skin gaining wrinkles, joints becoming painful, and if you're unlucky, then maybe even some gray hair. While these are all visible, senescence actually begins at a much lower level. The body that you occupy right now is made up of 37 trillion cells. 37 trillion. That's just fantastic. Each one of these cells will go through its own cycle that contributes to the process of aging. This cycle is known as the Hayflick limit, named after Leonard Hayflick who discovered this. Hayflick limit is the number of times your cells can divide before they can't anymore. The reason for this limit is because every time a cell divides, it loses some of your genetic information. Kind of weird that as you get older, you start to lose more and more of yourself. What's actually happening is that inside your chromosomes, You have cells called telomeres, and every time your cells divide, the telomeres are becoming shorter and shorter until they can no longer divide. 
So bringing it back to the example of elves, it can be reasonable to assume that on a biological level, elves may have chromosomes that can divide thousands of times before reaching their end of life. Since elves aren't real, the only explanation I could find is that when scouring the internet was either they were imbued with spirits, they were close to the gods in their realm, or just simply magic, because anything can be accomplished if you just have magic. And no, not the Disney kind. I can get into a lot more detail about DNA life cycle and apoptosis, but I won't, because this isn't a biology lesson. Now I want to move on to the brain and talk about how our central processing unit plays a much bigger role than you think in aging. So when you're born, your brain pretty much starts out with all the neurons it will ever have. Give or take a few by the time you're two years old, your brain will be just around 80% of the adult size. That's a scary amount of growth for just two years. So now fast forward to the time you're 30 years of age and your brain starts to shrink. This is different from person to person, but studies have concluded by the time we reach full maturity of 30 years, our brains decide they've had enough and they just start to shrink. Now, not to stress anyone out, you're not dying or anything by the time you're 30. Stuff just starts to happen slower and you become less and less efficient as time progresses. There is, however, one thing you can do to counteract this. You can actually, in a sense, train your brain to stay younger. Many scientific studies have concluded that actively playing stimulating games such as Sudoku, crossword puzzles, and even some video games have all had a positive impact on your brain. When you play these games, what you're actually doing is you're stimulating new connections between the neurons and encouraging communication between these cells. This actually leads into my next idea of how we start to have an impaired memory as we age and grow up. So most people know that as you start to grow older, the things you remember start to become fuzzy and faded, almost as if they were a dream, but you're not really sure if it happened or not. I'm going to keep using a computer as an example, as it's the easiest to relate to. So if you have a hard drive and you rewrite data onto it over and over, eventually it starts storing it less efficiently. The same goes for the brain. You can actually only store so much in your central processing unit until you start to forget some things. So part of this reason is because the area of your brain that is associated with forming memories and storing memories, such as the hippocampus, starts to shrink by the time you're 30 and onwards. Want to store more memories, you say? We're on the same frequency here. Haha, <laughs> see what I did there? Anyway, one of the ways to keep as many memories as possible is by being as social as you can. Scientists who study the hippocampus have found that regularly engaging in social interactions release both oxytocin and dopamine. Oxytocin, or the love hormone, is released in small quantities all the time, when you sleep, when you're hungry, or when you're thirsty, and even when you have emotional reactions. Oxytocin is actually the catalyst for dopamine to be released. These hormones encourage further social interactions and help prevent the effects of stress and depression. Dr. Robert Malenka said something interesting and I thought I should share it with you. I quote, With so much hatred and anger in the world, what could possibly be more important than understanding the mechanisms in the brain that make us want to be friendly with other people? I resonate so much with this quote because he's saying that instead of fighting with people over differences and disagreements, that we should rather try to understand how we can get along with one another as much as possible. 
This gives me some hope for the world we live in today, seeing how there's so much anger and bitterness all over the place. Maybe you can change that and bring in some positivity the next time you find yourself disagreeing with someone. Moving on, I want to take a quick look at our skin and other fleshy bits that show our visible signs of aging. So when your hair turns grey, it's actually the hair follicle running low on ink, so to speak. This ink is actually called melanin and is also the reason as to why your skin has the colour that it does. As you grow older, the melanin factories in your follicles become less and less effective and that's why everything starts to lose its colour. Another fact of the matter is that when the body starts to age, the skin also loses its natural look and falls victim to wrinkles and squishiness. I want to take a quick deep dive into the three layers of skin to explain this to you. Top to bottom, we have epidermis, dermis, and hypodermis. Epidermis is everything you can see, from the texture, to the color, to even moles and freckles. Dermis is the supportive layer that has proteins, collagens, and elastins that prevent sagging. This layer acts as the support beam for the dermis above, and over time this layer loses some of its collagen and elastin due to deterioration and causes the layer above it to sag. Lastly, we now have the hypodermis, which is kind of like the fatty sponge, which is the foundation for everything. Fatty sponge. That's kind of a gross image. Let's not go there. <laughs> Enough of all that oldness talk now. We're on the second part of our discussion. Now we get to talk about immortality and all the lovely and not so lovely bits that come along with it. Let's get straight into that. Now there are a very many aspects I can cover when it comes to immortality. So I will try my best to explain everything from anti-aging pills, uploading yourself to the internet, and my all-time favorite, cryogenesis. Alright, so the very, very first thought, seeing as we just came from the topic of aging, is the anti-aging pills that we have today. So when the chromosomes that we spoke about earlier start to die, they go through a process called apoptosis. Now, to counteract this, scientists at the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota have developed senolytic drugs. These pills work by targeting cells that are senescent or close to dying and artificially induce apoptosis. This then prevents these dead cells from gathering and causing the cells around them to stay healthy for longer. Think of it like this. In winter, some athletes dose up on vitamins and minerals and even stuff like ginger and health shots. This is to prevent them from getting sick and to continue training. The same is true for these cells in your body. Only the senescent cells are targeted so that tissue damage can be prevented. But what if that's not enough? I'm wondering the same thing as you. Let's get curious and find out more. Now, as cool as it may sound to plug yourself into a computer and just upload everything, humans are still a long way from actually doing that as if the Matrix and Terminator movies aren't warning enough to not do this kind of thing. Goodness gracious. So the science we have now, or the theory at least, is called Whole Brain Emulation, or WBE for short. This process would involve uploading your consciousness into a computer, along with all your thoughts, feelings, and desires. Ew, that's like being naked in a public bathroom, except it's your brain everyone can see. The problem we currently face with even attempting this task is not so much data storage, but rather the mapping of the brain. It is said that the human brain contains roughly 86 billion neurons, and each of these neurons can connect to 10,000 other neurons. 
That's a bit of a complex math problem. Calculator ain't gonna solve this one, kid. Now, there are many complications when it comes to uploading yourself to the net. Firstly, is the moral issue of, if you upload, is it still yours? This question can be deb debated many ways, but I wanna say no, because now once you've uploaded your brain, you've essentially added to what was there, in a sense. When you were born, that's what you got, and that's what there is. Here's another interesting take on it. A startup in America called Nectome has pitched that they can preserve your brain, but you need to be dead for it to work. Nectome promises that they can preserve your goods for hundreds, even thousands of years, and that someday scientists can scan your frozen brick and run a simulation on everything stored in your brain, and in a sense, bring you back to life. Essentially, you can smell the flowers in a data server someday, so to speak. If you're a fan of Frozen, of which I mildly am, no hate, you'll know that freezing your sister isn't exactly the best way to keep her alive. Or is that no longer the case? Loving this curiosity, let's get to it. Let's first start with the definition of cryonics. So cryonics is defined as putting someone in an icy sleep for a very, very long time. Fine. Google actually gave me the practice or technique of deep freezing the body of a person who has just died in the hope that scientific advances may allow them to be revived in the future. That's basically what I said. So now for this to work, there are a few things we need to do. Just a heads up, you need to be dead for this to work. So just keep that in mind. So then, within moments of death, your body needs to be put on a mechanical heart-lung ventilator in order to keep the brain supplied with oxygen. That is, after all, what we're trying to preserve. After this, your body is packed with ice and you get some blood thinners called heparin that will prevent blood from clotting your veins and arteries. Next step we have is that you get a nice cocktail, non-alcoholic I'm afraid, of human antifreeze that replaces all the water in your body and prevents ice crystals from forming all over the place. Now we get to chill out by cooling ourselves down with dry ice to a nice cool negative 130 degrees Celsius. One last nail in the coffin because now we head into the chamber, not a Harry Potter's reference. A cryonic chamber can store up to six bodies at once and you're all submerged in liquid nitrogen at a subpolar negative 196 degrees Celsius. Just my kind of weather. While this is all very awesome and chilling, our biggest problem we have with this is that we don't quite know how to bring the fish sticks back to life again. It's not as easy as freezing yourself in carbonite like Star Wars. So of the cryogenic tests that have been conducted, the only thing scientists were able to bring back was the cryogenically frozen brain of a rabbit. Our hopping friend is a bit far from us, if you ask me. One man has, however, tried to freeze himself and was unsuccessful at it. Dr. James Bedford, a psychologist of 73 years, died of cancer in 1967. He took all the steps necessary, such as the artificial circulation and the antifreeze preservation, and even wrapped himself in tinfoil to regulate his temperature. Talk about a Terminator fanboy. It was only later discovered that the method he used almost certainly damaged the cells in his brain. Still, his body is on ice, literally and figuratively, at the Elcor Life Extension Foundation to this very day. And that, friends, is the end of this discussion. I do hope you learned something today and that maybe you can bring this up in your discussions wherever they might take you. 
One of my listeners pointed out something about last week's episode that I felt I should share. The idiom that goes, curiosity killed the cat, is actually incomplete. The full thing reads as, curiosity killed the cat, but satisfaction brought it back. And with that, I hope I have left your curiosity satisfied. It is indeed housekeeping time. Let me level with you and have a moment. Thank you very, very much for listening to this week's episode, and thank you for allowing me to bless your ears. If you did enjoy this show, please do hit that follow, like, or subscribe button wherever it is that you're listening. It helps grow the channel so we can reach a bigger curious crowd. Another way to grow is to follow me on the social places. Find me over at how underscore that underscore works on Instagram. I am currently working to build my Facebook audience as well, so please, please do check that out also. You have been a great listener today, so here's raising an ice-chilled antifreeze to you. This has been our time together, so until next week's episode, stay always curious. Curious.